Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. He's a real nowhere man sitting in his nowhere land making all his nowhere plans for nobody. I heard it today and I got to thinking, which of the world leaders does it most apply to? And then it became obvious that actually the answer is almost all of them. How prescient as always from the great John Lennon 50 years ago. The reality is that nowhere men are not listening. Nowhere men are talking and doing and the rest of us are more or less passively accepting, except in some very exceptional circumstances to which we shall turn. There's the nowhere man in Paris who thought that he could threaten the new leadership in faraway Niger, from which France generates 80% of its energy, its power, whilst only 20% of the people of Niger have any electricity at all. France, which has no gold mines, but is the fourth largest holder of gold reserves in the world, where Mali has 585 gold mines and doesn't hold any gold at all. He thought that Mali, he thought that Niger, he thought that Burkina Faso, he thought even the Stooges in Nigeria and Chad would follow his orders, that by this day, this afternoon, the new leaders in Niger must vacate the presidential house and reinstate the French puppet. None of it has happened. The Nigerian president, a geriatric former gang godfather in Chicago, I'm not making that up. How else do you become president of Nigeria? Not by having done anything for or in Nigeria, but being connected, shall we say, to the drug business in the Windy City in the north of the United States. He thought he's another nowhere man. He thought he could crack the whip and the Nigerian Senate would agree to his demand to invade their neighbor, against whom they have already cut off electricity, water, and other essential services. But the Senate said, no, we have enough problems in Nigeria without Africans killing Africans for the edification of the French leadership and the leadership of the United States of America. So there will be no Nigerian invasion of Niger. They kind of half thought that Chad would do the invading for them, but they too have refused, meaning that Nigeria and Chad are out of the game. 
whilst Burkina Faso and Niger are increasingly marching in lockstep alongside Mali. And of course, the great colossus of Algeria to the north, with its military political alliance with Russia going back to the day of independence, has made it very clear and has today moved its tanks to the border with Niger, that any foreign invasion of Niger will have to fight Algeria for every inch of the territory they hope and hope to seize. And of course, anybody who fights Algeria is also fighting Russia. And the Wagner group, the uh, mercenary Russian group, already present in substantial numbers, working for different African governments, trying to staunch the flow of Islamist extremist fanaticism in Africa, have already arrived in Niamey, the capital city of Niger. It's a token force so far to secure the capital, if needs be, from any foreign invasion. But if you see a lot of Russian transport planes arriving in Niger over the next hours and days, don't be surprised. Thus, France has, like the United States in Ukraine, bitten off more than it could chew and may choke as a result. France has just demonstrated it's not so much a paper tiger as a paper poodle, a paper French poodle, and they don't get fancier or more poodle-like than that. The United States has clearly done the same in the Ukraine. They have given $140 billion from the taxpayers of a country who don't all even have minimal health care, who are suffering from a city, a country that's falling apart at the seams. Even Kamala Harris was talking about flat tires, though you may need some translation to work out what she was saying. But she was right. Driving around in the United States on the roads and bridges that exist there is a very dangerous pastime indeed, even if you manage to avoid the two mass shootings a day in the United States of America in 2023. $140 billion that could have been spent on the American people has instead been given to a now politically, militarily, and morally bankrupt, state-led, stump state of Western Ukraine, led by a former porn actor, strip artist, and general comedian. Zelensky has taken the American taxpayers for one hell of an expensive ride, as have all the U.S. satraps that rule our European countries. History will find it hard to explain to students a hundred years from now how it was that European leader after leader agreed to a set of self-destructive policies that would destroy their own country in the name of destroying another and failing all at the behest of an American president, a nowhere man who doesn't even know which nowhere land he's busy making 
plans in. It will be impossible to explain to people how Russia has just taken Germany's place as the fifth largest economy in the world. Do you remember when all these clowns used to disparage the Russian economy, not even bigger than Italy, they used to say dismissively? Do you remember all these clowns that told you about 550 days ago that the Russian ruble would be rubble, that the Russian economy would be crushed. Like Schultz said, Germany will suffer no recession. And now Germany is in recession. The Bank of England is so desperate to avoid declaring recession, it has just again piled on the agony with another rise in Britain's interest rate, making mortgage paying for tens of millions of people all but impossible. With, of course, the winter colds not even 12 weeks away. The winter cold, when it sets in, will have to be defended by the use of your heating, the bills for which tripled and quadrupled last year, all for the edification of energy companies like British Gas, who quadrupled their profits in the same 12 months. Although they're coming to take away your heating in the name of net zero. Forget that boiler that you're burning. That's so last century. It's going to be a heat pump, don't you know? A heat pump which won't work, will cost £25,000, will make zero difference to the infinitesimal contribution Britain makes to carbon emissions in the world. But you'll be cold and you'll be hungry and you won't be happy, but you'll have done your bit for the greenery and the quackery that is the prevailing orthodoxy in the sinking Western polities and economies. The Russian economy is booming. The Chinese economy is booming. The BRICS conference in South Africa will mark a significant turning point in the history of the world where the BRICS countries will begin to dwarf the GDP of the so-called G7 countries, which only a few years ago thought at least that they ruled the world. They don't think it now. Seven nowhere men sitting in their nowhere land, making all their nowhere plans for nobody. And still they are not listening. But to be fair, that's because we are not speaking loudly enough. And we're not acting decisively enough. We're not prepared to sink our differences and come together, those of us who can see at least certain things clearly and in concert. And so they win in elections in which fewer than half of the people vote and fewer than half of the half of the people vote for the candidate who wins. And so we have a prime minister in California while the louts are clambering around the prime minister's roof 
draping black cloth over it. God knows what that's supposed to mean. And they're up there for five hours before the cops can Shanghai them. But he is basking in the California sunshine whilst telling you that you have got to be cold and you have got to be poor to make a contribution to a global warming, which this summer has seen Britain's worst summer in 55 years, seen July, the wettest July in the entire history of the British Isles, at least as far as that history is recorded. These nowhere men are taking you to nowhere, and you are going like sheep to the slaughter and are doing nothing about it. We on the mother of all talk shows, and you as our audience, we're doing our bit. One and a quarter million people watched last week's show. So far, these numbers grow and grow over many weeks, even months. But one and a quarter million whilst knocking Piers Morgan into a cocked hat is making scarcely a dent on the powerful who continue to mislead us all the way to nowhere. Let me turn, if I may, to the situation in Pakistan. It's been some weeks since we dealt with it. Some kind of hiatus appeared to be in place. The foolhardiness of killing, either literally or metaphorically, the most popular political leader in the country because the United States of America didn't like him, seemed as if it might lead to some kind of compromise, free elections, and everyone agreeing to accept the result. But no, yesterday, dramatically, Imran Khan was seized and taken to prison, sentenced to five years in prison on corruption cases from a government that was all in exile, mainly in London, for high crimes of corruption running into billions of pounds. A trumped up rubbish charge of corruption has put the prime minister in prison in Pakistan. Even worse, he's banned from political office for five years. They hope that they have decapitated his party. Maybe they have, maybe they haven't. Time will tell. But the goons that jailed Imran Khan will never sleep soundly or safely in their beds because Imran Khan managed to rally many millions of people, particularly young people, and not just in Pakistan, but amongst Pakistanis abroad, who will never forgive this real-time crucifixion of the leader that they revere. I say they. I repeat what I've said a hundred times. He's not my leader. I'm not his party man. I've been involved in Pakistani politics for 50 years nearly. I'm the holder of the two highest civil awards in Pakistan. I know what I'm talking about. 
in Pakistani politics. And I've seen all of this before. My late and great and dear friend, Benazir Bhutto, was repeatedly overthrown, imprisoned. Her father was hanged. Her brothers were murdered. She was murdered. I watched on television my friend Benazir Bhutto being murdered on TV while I was on the air broadcasting at Talk Sport. So for me, this is deja vu. It is like a record baby spinning round and round. I've been here now so many times before. And Pakistan will now descend into a vortex of violence and alienation. Who will believe elections without Imran Khan? Inarguably the most popular political figure in the country. Who will believe them? Who will accept that the next government in Pakistan is in any way legitimate, even if it is cleaned of the worst thieves? And that's a big even if, because behind the scenes, at the very least, they will continue to pull the strings and pick the pockets of the people of Pakistan. An endless merry-go-round of elections, rigged, of people coming to power, being overthrown by the army, and then the new lot criminalize the old lot, and the old lot get back in and criminalize the group that criminalized them. The Pakistani people deserve so much more and better than that. We'll be talking to Major Adil Raja, retired, about Pakistan. We'll be talking to Professor Marandi about Iran, which according to the Sunday Times, this day is now Britain's biggest threat. Wait, what? Wasn't it Russia last week? Wasn't it China the week before that? Now it's Iran. That is our biggest threat, according to the Sunday Times, never knowingly failing in its duty to be the mouthpiece and the foghorn for the deep state intelligence, political and military deep state in Britain. And we'll be talking to the father of Gonzalo Lira, a long-time guest on this show, whose videos purporting to be from the border between Ukraine and Hungary have attracted tens of millions of views in just a few days. It seems like the name of Gonzalo Lira is traveling. And that in itself is a problem for Joe Biden and for President Zelensky. We'll be talking about all these things and more because this is the mother of all talk shows. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. To explain this latest dramatic turn of events in Islamabad, we turn to our old friend Major Adil Raja. The lion roars, and he roars often on the Mother of All Talk Shows. Uh, Major Raja, thank you for uh, joining us again. This came out of the blue for me. Uh, Did it come out of the blue for the Prime Minister, Imran Khan? No, obviously not, George, because he was expecting it. He was very much expecting it. That, uh, that is why he had recorded a video message earlier before his arrest, which was released uh, after his arrest uh, to the wide world. Now, from the outset, George, let it be very clear that uh, Imran Khan was facing 150 cases. And the sole purpose of all these cases were to disqualify him from fighting the upcoming elections because the military junta is so scared of him, uh, that they, they, of his popularity, that they, they just don't want him to fight the elections because they know he's going to win. And if he'll win, he's going to uh, carry out uh, accountability across the board, which will take the crocs right now in power down. So definitely he knew it was very much expected. Yeah, George. Now, uh, this is uh, a page of the uh, Joe Biden, uh, Donald Trump uh, playbook. Uh, They're terrified that Trump will defeat them. So uh, they'll do anything using lawfare, uh, hundreds of charges, uh, indictments and so on. So far, they haven't put uh, Trump in prison. And in the U.S., you could even be elected president from prison. What will happen to Imran now that he is behind bars? Well, you see, George, there is no comparison between U.S., a free country, and Pakistan, a colony of the West, U.S.-led West, and now China as well. You know what happened? Uh, the, the false flag operation of 9th May, that was his first arrest, there was a false flag, huge false flag operation conducted by the military intelligence and uh, by what we call the Gulubats, these are the political workers of the ruling party who instigated the mobs, created a violent situation, and then they went on a crackdown against PTI. They jailed 20,000 workers of PTI in Pakistan. They broke the houses. They took away mothers, daughters, and uh, uh, even wives of uh, uh, political workers. Even army officers and their wives were picked up who were siding with Imran Khan. Uh, An example was created. There was a crackdown in media. 
everybody was forced shut in Pakistan, and then they went out on a transnational repression operation throughout the throughout the world. And uh, surprisingly and astonishingly enough, I fell a personal victim of it uh, here in the UK. You know, I you you know very well that I fled my country. I fled the wrath of the fascist government over there whom I was serving. In fact, I came here to the UK uh, thinking that there would be freedom of speech here and I would be able to, you know, raise voice for democracy over here. But in fact, I fell victim to the transnational repression, uh, which is part of the global operation by the Pakistani fascist state. But surprisingly, only the British uh, authorities collaborated with the Pakistani authorities in this regard, whereas the U.S. authorities... They did not involve themselves in this transnational repression, or even the Canadian authorities did not involve themselves in the transnational repression. But over there, they they are carrying out an operation called Operation Margala. This is operation conducted by the ISI undercover officers. They are ringing up the Pakistani diaspora and people, and they're trying to harass them into silence. They are carrying out facial recognition uh, through the Pakistani databases, and then they make calls to them. They are, you know, cancelling their Pakistani nationalities. They're going after the families. They find the family trees from the Pakistani data. Then they go after the families. And there is an international, global, uh, you know, transnational repression going on, operation going on, so that now Imran Khan has been arrested. They wanted everybody to stay shut, and they've been successful, in fact, in keeping the Pakistani media shut. Uh, BBC is very selectively uh, picking up uh, people who are anti-Imran Khan for interview. Uh, the la- latest uh, hard talk with uh, Stephen Sucker was, uh, in fact, uh, such... I, I, I was amazed, I was ashamed of the show. It was as if Stephen Sucker has got all his questions from the uh, from uh, from uh, Islamabad, from the from the Rawalpindi, from GHQ, you know, that all the Alexis in Islamabad, it seemed, had given this question to Stephen Sucker, and he was advising Imran Khan to leave politics. So this uh, collaboration between the British uh, authorities and the West wider Western world, I mean, it's not surprising, uh, George, because pa- uh, the Pakistani regime right now under Asim Hitler, Munir, he's willing to sell the country. He's willing to sell the country's minerals. He has uh, given a contract to the Chinese for 15 years to extract, uh, keep on extracting the copper ore from uh, Balochistan, which uh, is unaccounted for, for pennies. They must have given something to the British as well. I mean, Pakistani ports are for sale, Pakistani uh, airports are for sale, Pakistani minerals are for sale for pennies. And in all this quagmire, Imran Khan just doesn't uh, fit in because Imran Khan talks about the national interests of Pakistan, whereas the people ruling Pakistan right now their personal interest becomes the national interest and becomes the so-called strategic compulsion. So it's a one-window operation dealing with the army chief, Asim Hitler Munir, and getting things uh, done, you know. So at the end of the day, it is about resources and Pakistani resources and Pakistani sovereignty is on sale. Imran Khan just does not fit into these plans, George. Where is he now, Major? Uh, How safe is he? I read this evening that his lawyers have been unable to make contact with him. Uh, this is unconscionable. This is the prime minister. This is the leader of the biggest party in a, in a country of 250 million people. Uh, 
how do we know that they will not literally kill him behind bars? You see, right now there is a, a, a gross international pressure as well. I mean, people are happy. The Arabs are happy that Pakistan is for sale for dirt cheap rate and they're going in. But they know at the same time that the manpower in the Gulf countries, for example, and the diaspora in the West as well, is Pakistani diaspora is, uh, is a sizable diaspora. Uh, and this diaspora overwhelmingly support Imran Khan. So there is a pressure on the Pakistani state uh, to, you know, keep him uh, well, as uh, to keep him safe and to keep him alive. Having said that, Imran Khan has been sentenced three years in prison and five years disqualification from, uh, for, you know, contesting for a public office has been ordered against him by a junior court, by a judge who is himself compromised, by a judge who has been making Facebook posts against Imran Khan, derogatory Facebook posts with pictures against Imran Khan, and the judges acknowledge that, and the judges right now in the UK, in Hull University, he's attending a five-day court, you know, we are writing the Chancellor, Vice-Chancellor of the Hull University to have a look into what kind of people he's hosting on behalf of Commonwealth, so... This guy, he, he's got no moral ground, more, no moral standing, but this is the judiciary for you in Pakistan right now. And uh, Imran Khan is right now in Atak jail. Atak is in Punjab, and he is, the jail has been converted into a military strong point. The military resources have been used to strengthen the Atak jail. People have gone there, his, uh, his lawyers went there, uh, to meet him, to get his power of attorney signed, but uh, they were told that they were they were they were refused a meeting. They were said to come back tomorrow and they'll get the document signed. Army is in charge of uh, keeping Imran Khan captive. The, he's being captive in a civilian prison, but overall uh, command and control have no doubt in it is uh, with the army chief, with the army, and with the inter-services intelligence. That's ISI not only of Imran Khan, but all the people, his key political workers, particularly the ladies who have been kept in solitary confinement, all the, uh, the, 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 all the management and all the command infrastructure has been directly taken over by this Gestapo and Stasi-styled ISI, which is carrying out, you know, a purge in Pakistan, a successful purge, I would say, because the kind of reaction, people are scared to come out, people are scared to talk in Pakistan, and even globally, I've told you, there is transnational suppression going on, uh, transnational repression going on uh, by the Pakistani state. So uh, this is the situation right now, George. Now, uh, a very good friend of mine, now deceased, uh, very close with uh, Benazir Bhutto, indeed uh, with her father, uh, Zulfikar Ali Bhutto, uh, was kept in C-class, uh, which was uh, pretty primitive. Uh, not in Atok, uh, but uh, elsewhere. Uh, is this the famous, the old Atok fort? And what class of prisoner will, uh, will Imran Khan be? In other words, how bad will his situation legally, be in this jail? Yeah, George, legally, legally he should be an A-class, right? But there are rumors coming out of the prison that he has been kept in the C-class. Uh, he was arrested from Lahore. He was honorably arrested and escorted up to Islamabad, but he was, uh, wasn't was kept there in Rawalpindi, Islamabad, but moved to Atak. Now, it's got a symbolic symbolic uh, uh, relevance uh, why he's been kept in Atak is because Nawaz Sharif has been captain Atak. So Nawaz Sharif wanted 
a revenge. Whereas it was not Imran Khan who got Nawaz Sharif arrested. It was President Musharraf who got Nawaz Sharif arrested. And he was kept in the Atak fort with the special services group of commandos where he used to cry. And he, was, he used to cry so much with tears that the commanding officer, you know, I was there, I was an eyewitness. The commanding officer, you know, he got scared that he might die of a heart attack or something. So uh, they, they gave him special kind of food, but he will still cry. So what he did was the, the he got Nawaz Sharif out and the, uh, they gave him a whistle and they made him a referee in a volleyball match so that uh, he would come out and he would participate. And that's what actually... Uh, made him happy, so uh, that's what saved him life as well. And then he started eating and started, uh, you know, asking for special kind of dishes from his chef, which was provided to him. Imagine that. But nothing like that was provide is provided to Imran Khan. Imran Khan is being kept in the highest maximum security prison. He is being kept in the C class, as far as we know. And it is at the behest of uh, uh, Asim Hitler Munir. I say him Asim Munir who is practically acting as a servant of Nawaz Sharif, who has illegally appointed him as the army chief. And he is serving the interest, the global interest of uh, not only uh, the Western uh, world, but also the Chinese are happy with him. He's keeping the Iranians happy as well. And he's keeping, you know, he's selling Pakistani resources, he's compromising on the Pakistani sovereignty. Yeah, there is talk going on in the town that the next surgical strike in before Indian election of Modi would be conducted in Kashmir and the Pakistanis are being asked to stay quite in response to that Modi can uh, can get re-elected, you know. That's why I say that he's uh, dealing uh, the, in the sovereignty of Pakistan as well. Now, Imran Khan, you know, simply does not fit in any of this equation. This militant uh, sale of the Pakistani assets, Pakistani sovereignty, and what we call in our language, uh, George, is Pakistani gharat. Gharat is an Urdu word. I, I, I failed to find a translation in English for this word. But it does. Uh, the closest match could be dignity. Dignity, indeed. We'll stay across this uh, developing story, Major Raja, with your help, God willing. Thanks for joining us on the mother of all talk shows, Major Adil Raja, on the three years imprisonment of Prime Minister Imran Khan and perhaps more importantly, the five-year political disqualification. Uh, so, just stop oil, question mark, yes or no? Well, on Telegram, 15% support stopping oil. On Twitter, it's 22%. On the YouTube community poll, it's 14%. On the other hand, we've got 85%, 78%, 86% say no to Just Stop Oil. If you've got a point of view on that, make sure your vote is recorded. Right after the break, Professor Syed Mohammed Narandi of the University of Tehran. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. There is nobody better at providing a view of not just uh, the uh, Middle East, not just the Islamic world, but increasingly international politics itself than Professor Syed Mohammed Narandi, who joins us now from the University of 
Tehran. Uh, Professor Mohammed, thank you, as always, for uh, joining us. It's difficult to know where to start, and it will be difficult to know where to end, uh, because events are moving uh, so very fast. But they're not going well for what we might loosely call the West. They're not going well for the West in Africa, where the effort to declare uh, havoc and unleash the dogs of war on Niger, uh, first called for by uh, President Macron, appear for the moment to have failed. How do you see the situation there? I think as the situation deteriorates for the West, and this has been going on for a very long time, the United States was really at the top of the world after the Second World War. And since then, there has been a, a general decline in the, in the sense that uh, the economy of the United States uh, relative to the global economy gradually grew smaller percentage-wise. And after the collapse of the Soviet Union, I think at least for a decade, uh, people thought that uh, the tide had turned and the United States would be the uh, only superpower the or hyperpower and that we'd reach the end of history. As we all recall back then, uh, people speaking about the, the, the fact that liberal capitalism was the final uh, phase of human evolution. But um, after 2000, we saw, after a decade, we saw the perpetual wars. We also saw, saw the, the economic crisis in the United States and in Europe. And after that, the decline of the United States, I think, uh, increased the rate of decline rapid, very rapidly. And the wars served as a catalyst. And so now the United States and the West, as it is called, they no longer have the ability to control the world as they did in the past. And we are seeing Latin America slip away from the United States. We're seeing Africa slipping away from the United States. And the case of Niger is, I think, uh, extra important because of the role that it plays in providing France with uh, uranium and energy and providing Europe with energy at a time when the West has sanctioned so many different countries and it has limited source sources both for oil, gas, but also uh, uranium. So the more the United States and the West try to control the world, the more the world is slipping away or they are losing control over different parts of the world. And um, it, we are reaching a very interesting phase because I think We've actually reached the end of an empire, but at the same time, it is probably the most dangerous phase because empires do not want to lose power. But you're a professor. Uh, if you had a student that persistently turned in work that you had already shown to be wrong uh, repeatedly, uh, you, you as a professor would, would be very unhappy. And yet, Imperialism has turned out to be a very poor student, too. Uh, just rapidly thinking, while you mentioned the Second World War there, the United States has not won a war 
since 1945, and it wasn't the United States that won the war in 1945. If you go, this is now the anniversary of the of the Korean War, 70 years uh, uh, from the end of the Korean War. Uh, if you look at the Korean War, Vietnam, uh, Afghanistan most recently, now uh, in the Ukraine, they keep using the same tools, even though those tools are increasingly shown to be uh, deficient, defunct. The tools being sanction everybody, make war and invade uh, where, we, where we have to. Uh, but these things are backfiring, as you say. Yes, I think one professor once said that uh, this would be madness uh, when the, when a student would constantly, or when you would, they would constantly repeat something that just simply does not work. And you're you're absolutely correct. The United States was at the top of the world because they had the largest economy, but also because they controlled the narrative. Otherwise, otherwise, we know that in the Second World War, the Soviet Union played a far more important role in defeating Nazi Germany, and we know that the atrocities committed to against China by the U.S. ally today, Japan, was uh, greater than the atrocities that were committed against civilians in the heart of Europe, mil Russia aside. But we don't ever hear acknowledgement of that. We don't hear acknowledgement acknowledgement of the role that the Soviet Union played. We don't hear how the the Chinese suffered. Millions of Chinese were murdered, and of course Koreans as well, uh, by the um, Japanese, who are now U.S. allies. So, uh, but even I, I believe that the U.S. is also losing control of the narrative, because in the past. Uh, we we learned about the world through the West, even in Iran, which is a revolutionary country, a country anti-imperialist. But most of our news would traditionally come from Reuters or CNN or the New York Times, and it would be translated into Persian. And so we learned about China, we learned about Latin America, we learned about Africa, largely through Western eyes. And from my travelings to different countries, conferences, I saw that the same was true when it came to Iran, in Russia, in China, in, in our region, in Latin America. They, people knew about Iran largely through Western eyes, through Western media, through Western narratives. But that is changing because now we are seeing how local uh, economies, as they've grown, alongside them, local media has grown. And right now you see a thriving, when I went to uh, uh, Venezuela and Cuba, I saw that they had their own media that had influence across Latin America. I'm not saying that the playing field is now level, but what I'm saying is that the balance of power has been tilting away from the West, uh, especially uh, since 2001, at a very rapid pace. And as things continue, uh, as we move forward, I think that this is going to Continue, and I think it's only it's going to become even more rapid because I personally believe that there's there's going to be a point where uh, you, you have a collective understanding that the West is no longer in charge, and when that happens, I think there will be uh, a lot of changes.
taking place simultaneously across the board, even though as we speak, the, the changes that we're now speaking are extraordinary. Uh, and the, and we see right before our eyes how the West is losing control. But I think in, in the not so distant future, it's going to become even more, um, it's going to be become even more interesting. Now, I haven't read the story. I only saw it on uh, my screen literally as the show was beginning. But And I don't, of course, buy the Sunday Times uh, or pay their uh, paywall. But uh, it turns out that it's not Russia or China that is Britain's biggest threat. It's Iran. Uh, do tell us what fiendish plans uh, are in store for us. I think the problem that the UK and the United States have with Iran is that A, they never forgave Iran for gaining independence after the revolution in 1979, but also because of the fact that they support support the apartheid regime, the Israeli regime. In other words, Western calculations in our part of the world are based on uh, Israeli interests, not on British interests, not on American interests. And the fact that the Israeli regime is facing so many problems both at both within the the Zionist supremacist community inside Israel, but also they're they're losing uh, support across the West. We we see polls in the, indicating that people are beginning to better understand, and many 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 young Jews are growing hostile to the apartheid regime as awareness grows. And in our region, we see how the Israeli regime is weakening. It no longer uh, can. It no longer controls uh, the its borders. It no longer controls the West Bank. It doesn't control Gaza. It's it's having a great great difficulty subjugating the Palestinian indigenous population, and it no longer is able to impose its will uh, outside of its borders. So, uh, as the Israeli regime becomes more concerned and more fearful of all the challenges that it faces as an apartheid regime, I think that causes more concern for its backers in the West. Otherwise, what problem does Iran propose for the British or the Americans? The Iranians are protecting their borders. The Iranians are uh, expanding trade and business with neighbors. We've had rapprochement with Saudi Arabia. Relations with other countries in the Persian Gulf are improving. You would think that under these circumstances, if Britain and the United States were normal countries, they would welcome this and they would see this as a an opportunity to uh, invest in Iran, to cooperate with Iran. But that's simply not going to happen. And I think it's because the interests of the British people the interests of American citizens are not pro- the priority here. No, they prefer the zero-sum game uh, approach. If if Iran is doing well, uh, that means ipso facto uh, we are doing less well. And this uh, uh, idea of coexisting, uh, my two sons theory, uh, when I say the sun is clearly rising in the east, but it didn't have to set in the west. Uh, if we had embarked on a course of acceptance and cooperation, a multipolar world, uh, then we wouldn't be in the mess we're in. But we are in a pretty big mess uh, here in the West. 
Uh, anyone who looks at the streets of Philadelphia, uh, the walking dead uh, that are uh, hooked on, on drugs, looks at the uh, two mass shootings a day uh, now taking place in the United States, looks at the powerless economic uh, position throughout the uh, European allies of the U.S., uh, knows that things are not going well. No one, no one's thinking this is a glad, confident morning in the West, Professor. Yeah, and, and George, we always have, let's keep this in mind. I mean, our, your viewers, yourself, myself, that the United States is not facing any sanctions. And this, these scenes that we see in the United States, you can't see them in China. You don't see them in Shanghai or Beijing. You don't see them in Moscow. You don't see them in Tehran. I've never seen such scenes anywhere in Iran. I'm sure Iran, despite all the sanctions, despite the brutal and barbaric sanctions that are intended to bring ordinary Iranians to their knees, despite all this, I mean, there are, there are, there are many difficulties and uh, shortcomings in Iran. But you don't see these scenes despite all the difficulties. But in the United States, which is supposedly, as, it, as American leaders like to say, the greatest country in the world, these scenes, when we see them, it's, it's extraordinary. How could such a country, which claims to be the land of the free and the home of the brave and an exceptional country and the greatest country on the planet, how could it allow its citizens to, to live in such horrific, under such horrific conditions, yet at the same time it wants to uh, have the Ukrainian, Ukrainian young men uh, die in the hundreds of thousands uh, in, for a lost cause, and Ukrainian women to increasingly be a part of the sex trade across Europe and North America? The, when we look at this, it, it, the Americans seem to me and to many like me as really the most immoral country on this planet and, to be very blunt, the most incompetent because when a country which after the Second World War had so much wealth and power, the scenes today after less than a century are just unbelievable. These are scenes that we don't, as I said, we don't see in the countries that are sanctioned, but we see in the country that is trying to create misery and despair across the world. Professor Morandi, as always, a great pleasure and indeed an education to listen to you. Thanks very much for joining us. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. I'm very proud uh, of my film, Killing Kelly. Uh, if you are one of my Patreon supporters for the cost of less than one cup of tea in an insalubrious cafe per week, you've already seen it for free. 
but you can get it on Amazon, you can get it from my shop, or the fastest way would be to become a supporter of mine on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash George Galloway. Now, uh, Gonzalo Lira, Chilean-American, uh, living uh, in Kharkov uh, in the Ukraine, uh, was a regular, uh, appear, uh, appeared regularly here on the Mother of All talk shows and was actually, uh, by a short head, uh, from Scott Ritter, uh, the biggest watched uh, interviewee uh, that we ever had on the mother of all talk shows. Uh, he racked up literally millions of views just on our show, and of course he used to appear on many, many more, uh, and, uh, and he had his own platforms uh, also, his own YouTube channel. Uh, he hosted uh, shows, one of which I was once on, I recall, uh, and so uh, he became quite a significant counterculture figure. I always used to say, and I say it again now, I hold no candle for Gonzalo Lira's uh, political views. Uh, insofar as I know them, uh, many of those that I know, are far from holding a candle to them, uh, I find them uh, actually repugnant. Uh, but I don't require to agree with someone before listening to them. In fact, quite the contrary. It is more important and valuable to listen to somebody that you disagree with than the politics of preaching to the choir and allowing only the choir to preach back at you. So I was content, more than content, to give a platform to Gonzalo Lira uh, many, many, many times. And all I can say, and it is literally all I can say, the strategic damage that he did to the NATO camp, the Zelensky regime, the war machine, was so great that all other matters pale into insignificance, including the issue of who he really is, what he really thinks. I recall very well what happened after the triumph of the October Revolution in Russia in 1917, when it was discovered that the secretary of Lenin himself had been a secret agent for the Tsar. Everyone was in an emotional uh, outrage. But Lenin calmly pointed out that this secret agent of the Tsar had done great work for Lenin, had had to in order to continue being his secretary. And what are you worried about, said Lenin? We triumphed, after all, didn't we? So none of us know what's in other people's hearts, what's in their heads, what their true motives are. All we can measure is what they did. And Gonzalo Lira did severely damage the narrative of the war party, the narrative of NATO, the narrative 
of the Western political class and media class. And I'm very grateful that he did. He did so at very considerable risk. He may have paid for that, not just with his liberty this time, but with his life. Now, who he really is, what he was really doing, why he uploaded a video on the border with Hungary, why he didn't try and get across the border without leaving a video message behind. Uh, these are all, this, this is all scuttlebuck uh, to me. I'm only interested in the big picture. And instead of using the reincarceration of a figure known now to many millions, more than most of his critics, exponentially more than most of most of his critics, instead of using this opportunity of an American citizen scurrying for his life from the Kiev thugs as a further stick to beat our leaders, NATO, Zelensky with, what do I find? I find a whole subculture, semi-industry of people who think it's more important whether or not Gonzalo Lira is entirely what he presents himself to be. Who cares? I don't. I don't care if other critics of the war party are later revealed not to have been who we thought, who they said they were, that's not important. What's important is the material damage to the war narrative that they did while they appeared at least to be on our side. Now, I had very much hoped that Gonzalo would make it over the Hungarian border, but maybe he didn't even go to the Hungarian border. Maybe it was another border. Maybe there are things that we have no knowledge about at all. It is very important, as I told you a couple of weeks ago, never to place absolute reliance on the words of someone in prison. Because someone who is in the hands of the enemy can be exploited, can be misrepresented, can be falsified, can be encouraged or discouraged from doing this or that. At the click of a finger, you've only got to threaten to torture somebody in your jail, in your custody. You've only got to threaten to torture them to make them do or not do this or that. So never, ever believe absolutely what someone who is not a free man or woman is saying to you across social media. Just keep some sense of perspective. Just keep some material consciousness. Who is gaining from the words being spoken by this man? And who is losing? But we couldn't bring Gonzalo with us because we don't know where he is. 
There's no sign that he made it into Hungary if Hungary he did intend to make. There is no word except from a transsexual American man, now woman, uh, who hates Gonzalo and is now, bizarrely, the spokeswoman, stroke man, it, them, whatever, of the Ukrainian military. There she is. He is announcing that Gonzalo is again their prisoner. Is she telling the truth? How can we tell? One thing we know is Gonzalo's not here, but his father is Gonzalo Lira Sr. Watched those videos that his son put out, read those tweets that his son posted, hoped that he, like us, would be having a reunion with uh, Gonzalo this evening, but sadly not so. And so I introduce to you for the second time on the show, Gonzalo Lira Sr., father of Gonzalo Lira, the journalist and campaigner. Uh, Mr. Lira, sir, thank you for joining us. It must have been a, a roller coaster, a difficult few days for you. Yes, indeed, uh, George. I thank you, first of all, for having me once again in your show. It's been terrible. Um, as a father, it's unbearable not to know where your son is. Now, I know that obviously during his period in prison from May the 1st to July the 6th, Gonzalo was tortured and extortion um, the worst things in the world are in those prisons of countries like Ukraine, where the value of humankind is zero, and no one in the world does anything to prevent countries like Ukraine to violate human rights to any individual that may fall into their hands. If I may give you a statement. Gonzalo, I'm sure, has been detained once again by the Ukrainian police while he was trying to leave the country in search of asylum in Hungary. I have texted his attorney, Viktor Serkovny, and he has no information. Gonzalo was certain that in his August 2nd court appearance, he was to be found guilty and sent to prison for eight years. Why wasn't he deported and get it over with? By the way, since Gonzalo did not appear on August 2nd, the court gave him another date, August 22nd. Hard to believe. Gonzalo, after suffering torture and extortion in the CISO prison, was finally released by posting a bail bond and attempted to leave Ukraine. My son posted three videos because it was his last chance to tell the world that in Ukraine, torture, extortion, and the worst treatment of a human being 
is normal practice. Spokesperson Miller and the Department of State of the USA are a collection of morally wrong bureaucrats at the mercy and serving a decrepit president being investigated at this point in time. The State Department has not honored his pledge that says in every U.S. embassy that they are bound to help U.S. citizens in trouble overseas. Do you know why my son George did not ask the USA for asylum? Because he simply knew the U.S. embassy in Kiev would have sent him right back to the criminal SBU. Biden is under investigation for receiving money from, among other countries, Ukraine. Biden is behind this wall of attrition. The end will be the destruction of Ukraine, as we knew before February 2022. Open your eyes. We're seeing the end of the USA as an empire and the birth of a new one, China. Biden precipitated the decay of the USA as world leader. The US government presently is spending 53% in military and 47% for other goods. The USA as an empire has ended and has died as the biggest producer of armaments in the world. To sell, it must create wars. The prosecutor in his charges admits that Gonzalo has not done any criminal activities towards individuals or property. All Gonzalo has done is criticize Zelensky's war strategy and the lies that Occident is reporting as to the outcome of the war. My son was tortured and suffered extortion, forced to pay $70,000 to jail thugs, or we destroy your left eye. He got cracked, ripped in his first cell. The worst stretch was in his fourth cell. And I'm quoting one of his videos when he says, once inside Sizeville prison, my son was tortured in two of the four cells he was in. And he was tortured by his fellow prisoners. Guards never beat prisoners. They outsource torture and extortions. From 1 p.m. June 21st till 7 p.m. the next day, 30 hours, he was beaten and sleep deprived. His arms twisted the wrong way around at his soldiers, at his shoulders, and generally beaten pretty bad. What is the USA doing to protect a U.S. citizen born in Burbank, California, 
on February 29, 1969. Is a certain apartment looking the other way? A spokesman Miller did. My son was released on a bail of a thousand of eleven thousand dollars and handed him both his passports, the USA and Chilean. Days later, he picked up from the SBU offices his driver's license, his BMW motorcycle papers, and they did not put, not put an electronic brace on his ankle. I strongly, George, suspect that this was a setup by the sinister SPU so that they can add another legal accusation. Finally, I'm requesting Antonio Guterres, Secretary of the United Nations. I'm requesting Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, United Nations Watch, to pressure Biden and Zelensky to free my son of an assured death in an Ukrainian jail. Finally, I'm requesting Tucker Carlson, Max Blumenthal, George Galloway, Tim Iverson, Alex Christoforo, Alexander Rubinstein, and so many others like you, George. Men of heart, men that defend the right of individuals to have my son be free once and for all, deport him. That is my statement, George. Free Gonzalo Lira, that is the call from you and from us in the mother of all talk shows. Uh, once he's free, uh, all manner of things can be discussed and revealed. Uh, but until he is freed from the dungeons of Britain and America's best friend, the Kiev regime, then there can only be one order of battle. One order of battle only that everyone should follow. We demand the release of Gonzalo Lira. Whether we like him, don't like him. Whether we think he's this or that, we demand yes. his release. I think that many could, certainly should, rally behind that call. Gonzalo Lira Sr., thank you. In a very painful interview with me, you have done. Let me just show on. you this was Gonzalo when he was a senior in high school at his home in Santiago at that time. After high school, he went on to Dartmouth College in the USA, graduated with his bachelor's degree, and his diploma was handed by the then President Bill Clinton. My son does wow. not deserve to be in jail, George. No, uh, you should try and get Bill Clinton to uh, do something also. That's a very uh, interesting... Everyone has to put their shoulder to this wheel. Uh, whatever they think of his views, everyone should be involved in this campaign. I need to press on because we need to allow callers to respond 
uh, Mr. Lira Sr. And so I thank you and I beg your leave. Just stop oil. You can still vote on the poll. Uh, you can call the show 0808 in the UK and Ireland in US and Canada plus one eight four four nine four four double three double four in the rest of the world four four two zero three nine double six two six two five. A quick break, your calls right to the end of the show. Uh my patrons are my life's blood, so I give uh, priority to those, and one of them is a legend. It's Graham Briggs White, who says we could have been transitioning quite some time ago with thorium salt reactors, solid-state wind farms, geothermal energy, and the use of carbon capture, but thorium salt reactors cannot be weaponized. How strange. How strange indeed, Graham. Thank you for everything. Paul MacDonald says, would you get on a modern jet that depended on batteries, George? You can, but certainly not me. Great show as always. Please become a legend. Support me on patreon.com forward slash George Galloway. John's on the line. In Ormskirk, on France. How's this for a global university? Go ahead, John. Hi, George. Just wanted to say, first of all, I am full of gratitude for the work that you do. I, I don't know where you get your courage from to stand in front of all these countries and, and speak your truth. But I want you to know that Mm. There's people back here at home and all over the world that really appreciate the work that you do. In particular, George, I was very concerned about the World Economic Forum and the WHO and the influence that they have on all political parties all through the world. But in particular, France was making a stand. And we haven't really heard from France because they had a social social media blackout. And I was wondering whether what you've heard, because I'd like to know what success they as a people are having over there, because we seem to be somewhat behind. But I've got this feeling slowly and inevitably, the pressure that people are feeling in different parts of the country will inevitably come to the UK. And I'd just like to know whether you have people and you're hearing things that are actually happening on the ground in France. Well, I'm actually in France, so I don't want to uh, reveal exactly where, but I can tell you that the French people are boiling mad. Uh, they are boiling with anger at their political leaders. Fewer and fewer of them are, uh, are, are uh, blinded by the sand that's thrown in their eyes in the mainstream media, uh, and they're turning off mainstream media just as quickly as our people are. Uh, more and more people uh, can see more clearly the nature of their state, and therefore, inevitably, eventually, uh, some time lag, of course, the role that their country has played in uh, Africa and in the world as part of the imperialist system. Uh, most of the most atrocious crimes uh, of empire in Africa were carried out by France. Uh, with Belgium, a tiny little runt uh, next door, uh, a close second. Uh, but the British, of course, had the biggest empire. The Portuguese, the Spanish, uh, all had empires in Africa. The French people cannot see this yet clearly, although at least 10 million of the French people 
are the children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren of that uh, empire. Uh, but what they know is that France isn't working, certainly not working for them. The 1% in France is very much a 1%. The middle class in France is boiling with rage, and the working class is, of course, the most downtrodden of all. And below them, the lumpen proletarian mass in the banlieue, in the suburbs, in the slums uh, of France, of places like Paris, Marseille, and others. So I have more hope for the French, uh, John, than I do for our own people. Uh, I feel that the French have a certain esprit decor uh, that uh, our people are going to have to discover. And if they don't, we're going to sink uh, under the waves, you know. Britannia ruled the waves. Now Britannia is slipping under the waves. I'm very sorry to say that, but I feel it most keenly. Uh, YouTube comments, Guni1972 says, Norma in Bristol sounds way too nice for Bristol. It was a pirate haven once. <laughs> I've got a soft spot for pirates myself. The one and only Norma in Bristol is on the line from the former pirate haven of Bristol. Go ahead, Norma. <laughs> no, um, I do deviate, George, I know. But I was very... We're a bit down at the moment because we don't go out and we're not well. But I listened to Tony Bennett. Now, I don't know if you know, he died last week, age 96. Do you know Tony Bennett, the singer? Do I know him? Do I know him? I, I, I'm going to tell you a story when you're finished about me and okay. Tony Bennett. Go ahead. Oh, right. No, he was 85 years old. He gave the most magnificent concert. And he was so suave and sophisticated. I sang um, When You're Smiling and I Leave My Heart in San Francisco. All the oldies and the audience loved it. And, and a very little use of a microphone. And I thought it was quite a tonic and it gave us a feel-good factor. So I thought I'd tell you about it. Well, uh, <clears throat> Tony Bennett was one of the great uh, crooners. Uh, a very, very fine singer and a very fine man. A man who supported the uh, equal rights of all the citizens of the US when it counted and when it was uh, painful uh, to do it, painful to your career, even painful to your, uh, to your person. Uh, Tony Bennett was a very fine man indeed and a great, great singer. And my late father, God rest his soul, uh, I Left My Heart in San Francisco, was a song that he used to sing. Now, in 1990, right after the downfall of the Ceausescus and the Romanian Revolution, a good friend of mine, Big Bob Wiley, formerly of the BBC and uh, other journalistic uh, outfits, a comrade of mine for many decades, he and I went to Romania, to Bucharest. Uh, the father and mother, Elena and Nicolae Ceausescu, had not long been uh, executed, just days before, and all the children of the Ceausescus were under uh, various forms of imprisonment. 
and Bob and I wanted to get access to the main son, the leading son, Nick, Nico Ceausescu, who was being groomed as the successor to Nikolai Ceausescu, and we had to uh, go and plead our case uh, in front of a lawyer, Paula Jacob, who uh, allowed us to visit her at home, and we clinched the deal for access to Nico Ceausescu, the son of the fallen dictator of Romania, by our rendition of I left my heart in San Francisco. I'm not joking. That's exactly what we did. And it got us inside the jail and got us the interview. And the result is published in a book very hard to get now, published by MacDonald Futura, called Downfall, the Ceausescu's and the Romanian Revolution. Hat tip to my good friend, Bob Wiley. Reevesy says, I would love to go to a pub with Norma. What a great night that would be. There you are, Norma. Uh, I think everyone should call in on Norma. She can't get out to the pub at the moment, but you yeah. can always leave her a wee baby sham. Leave her a wee baby <laughs> sham or a bottle of stout, Norma. Thank you very much Thanks. for that call. 15,261 people voted. And overwhelmingly, they voted against the foolish nostrum of just saying no to oil. I don't have time for final thoughts. I've expressed myself as best I can, I hope. And so it remains for me to invite you to join me again on Wednesday at the slightly later time of 9 p.m. UK. 9 p.m. UK time on Wednesday. I'll be back for the midweek mother of all talk shows. Until then, I bid you only this, to please bring another viewer with you on Wednesday. The show suffered because of the holiday period. Last week, we leapt up to 1.258 million. We've got to get back right up to 2 million, or I'm not doing my job. Good night.